Hi, it's Nachum Siegel with this week's edition of JM Rewind. JM Rewind gives us a chance to check out some of the recent conversations we've had on JM and the AM. Rabbi Josh Fass, co-founder of Nefesh Benefesh. We had a chance to discuss uh, Aliyah during uh, coronavirus and also a new summer camp opening up for Olim in Israel. Rabbi Josh Fass, Nefesh Benefesh, my guest on JM and the AM. Here he is on JM Rewind at the Nachum Siegel Network. secret, even though he is uh, too humble to actually want a theme song, that <clears throat> that is the uh, song that plays before the appearance on JMDM of the co-founder of Nefesh Benefesh, and that is, of course, Rabbi Josh Yoshua Fass, who is with us live via telephone. Not easy to get him on the phone, folks. Trust me. He is one of the busiest people, as you can imagine. When you are a Jewish hero, and when you are one of the most important figures in 21st century history, then I can tell you it is not easy getting someone like that on the phone. Rabbi Fass, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you, Nahum, even though the accolades are not really received well, but it's okay. <laughs> How are you? That's it's been part, too long. That's, that's part of what makes it fun, is we know how, much you don't, know. Is how much you don't enjoy those, as accurate as they are, frankly. Yes, and it has been too long, and I'm glad you're back, and now we get to look back at the year 2020, one of the strangest years in the rich history of Nefesh Benefesh, and certainly one of the strangest years in in uh, both world and Jewish history, that's for sure. And I hope you're looking back at 2020 with uh, with positivity and with fondness, Rabbi Fass. I hope that it didn't get you down, the fact that the world was and continues to be, it seems, locked down. By the way, that, that is happening in Israel, right? You're actually going into another massive lockdown in the next 48 hours, right? Tomorrow, tomorrow afternoon, yep. Next two weeks at least. Unbelievable. So even oh, when grabbing our files and even when it, I'm even when a million plus vaccines have already been distributed, at least the first dose, nonetheless, and I'm I'm being serious about this. Nonetheless, the authorities feel it's necessary to lock down, even though the 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 vaccine uh, distribution is going really really well uh, when it comes to how Israel's handling it. I guess one has nothing. So to do you want with to look it. back at 2020? I guess one thing. Going back to that. I guess one thing has nothing to do with the other, huh? I hope. Listen, uh, we we haven't gotten our second vaccines yet, so we're still yeah, still right. vulnerable, and many individuals, millions, have not gotten their first vaccine, and the spread of the virus now is is accelerating. So there has to be. I mean, I was surprised that two weeks ago we didn't go into a full segue or full closure. Unbelievable. But we'll see what the next two weeks. Hopefully, we'll, we'll bring us, we'll continue to vaccinate. The first round of those who got the first will get their second. And But uh, we're weeks or a couple of months away from, from having a, a majority of Israeli citizens vaccinated, which is remarkable. Yeah, I just, uh, I, I just, I mean, from this vantage point, it felt like such a setback with everything that Israel's been accomplishing over the last couple of weeks. 
And frankly, you know, people like myself want to get to Israel as soon as possible, and we're under the impression that as soon as Israel opens up with a combination of vaccine and testing, they will start allowing people in. So it's sort of that feeling where, you know, and I'm sure you felt this a lot more than us, obviously, because you're there, uh, but it's sort of that feeling where you think it's, you know, finally, you know, the home stretch, finally the light at the end of the tunnel, and then you're hit. Uh, with the news of this week that there's going to be a complete lockdown. So I just everyone, I guess... Yeah, I'm- but it's, it's, it's a waltz that I think everyone accepts. No one no one assumed that this trajectory growth would without have any setbacks or at least uh, one step back, two steps forward. So it's, it's okay. I don't think there's such protests this time around, especially with the vaccines starting rolling out to different communities. Right. Understood. Uh, well, we look back at 2020 in terms of North American Jews moving to Israel, I guess, with a uh, a positive uh, look, a positive um, uh, perspective, because it seems that uh, even with the pandemic and the craziness of this year, you were still able to bring thousands of Jews from North America to Israel. Mazal tov on that accomplishment, Rabbi Fass. Thank you so much. Um, I don't think the Mazaltov comes to us, or we deserve it. I think the numbers reflect the tenacity and the persistence, the devotion of the Olim. You have to take everything into context. They made Aliyah regardless of quarantine, airlines down, borders closed, Washington and consulates shuttered, landing and going straight to quarantine, kidding, putting their kids into school, but the schools are on Zoom. Their shipments are coming, and the ports and movers are understaffed because many of them are either sick or at home in quarantine. And to think that close to 3,200 North Americans made Aliyah during this year speaks volumes, volumes of that palpable connection, that visceral connection that every Jew has to return to their homeland. And it's incredible. It also speaks volumes of just all the cooperation of all the agencies. I can attest how the staff, our staff, and the staff of the Jewish agents, staff Ms. Radaklitan, Ms. Radapim, worked around the clock, um, not taking no for an answer and helping facilitate in a very, very difficult time, in a very challenging time, the Aliyah of Thousands. It also required us to pivot. We didn't have all of our charter flights or Bonation or mega events. Uh, made us pivot everything digitally. And that was, it's hard. It was successful because I, I think we were able to reach more people in different locations where we normally do not have that connection and engagement. But it's very hard because the Aliyah move is very personal. And uh, there's a difference between sitting across from a person in their living room than doing a Zoom or a webinar. Yeah. So uh, I hope what we can go back to normal soon. I think we learned a lot, a lot of lessons this year of how we can do more with less and uh, and maybe go back to both a dual personal engagement and more of this mass engagement online. And uh, we miss it. We miss it. I haven't been to the airports in, in eight, nine months. Speaking of airports, by the way, one of the challenges I know that you had and your organization had was, was simply with all the things you mentioned, and there were so many aspects that were so different, and again, kudos to all the old limbs you pointed out, but uh, you had to you had to figure out flights. You know, the majority of airplanes on this globe were grounded, especially at the height of the pandemic or, or, the, or where the initial panic went out. And just to get flights, and I'm not even talking about charter flights, I'm talking about just flights that are actually going on a regular basis. 
And often those planes are needed for other purposes when there's a pandemic going on. So just that logistically was very tough. Am I right about that? Oh, it was stressful. I mean, listen to my voice. <laughs> it's taken its toll. <laughs> so we're owing that to that to that area. Of, of, is is of, that good? Good excuse. <laughs> that that area of negotiation <laughs> it causes laryngitis. It seems. Also, one of the things that's pretty amazing about this past year is that, as you said, the total limb are thirty two hundred. But many would think that a specific category would dominate, especially. One might think that retirees, right, especially those who have children and grandchildren in Israel, and they're desperate to see those children and grandchildren, so that uh, that um, uh, category would dominate. Or one might say the singles, because this is a good time for them to pivot and start their lives anew in the Holy Land, that they would dominate. But it seems to me, and I don't know exactly how it compares to other years, you might be able to tell us that, but... It seems to me that every category, the families, the retirees, the singles, the lone soldiers, every category was well represented in 2020. You're absolutely correct. And we're also seeing that same distribution of interest within the application interest as well. And the increase of the applications are showing that within each of the specific denomination or um, demographic, we're seeing that spike. And it's not just relegated to one Specific democracy. Let me, I got to read this statistic. Everybody out there, I hope you're paying attention to this conversation, but if you're not, wake up for a moment. You must hear this. You must hear this. In 2019, remember that year, 2019, the last normal year we all enjoyed? There were requests for Aliyah that were received by Nefesh Benefesh from 4,582 people. 4,582. In um, in 2020, that number of Aliyah requests received by Nefesh Benefesh, 14,022. That is an astounding 206% growth. And I guess, and, that, is, and I guess that really tells... It's still t- climbing. It's still climbing. Well, one second. And we're still getting applications. That's applications. Many applications, or most of them, were in 2020 for 2021. And in any year... We received thousands of applications within that year itself. No, but one second, um, one the second. The normal conversion, hold on, the normal conversion rate is around 45, 49% of applica- applicants to their actual Aliyah. So just with this pool of applications of individuals who are interested in making Aliyah, we're talking about threefold if the same conversion rate is, say, is applied to next year. But when you joined us, for one of the most significant conversations we've ever had, which was the first time we spoke during the pandemic, and you described how the phones were ringing and how the applications were coming in via the web, etc. I mean, we, we talked about the that initial, you know, a burst that had come forth after Corona started. You can't tell me that now in January of 2021, you're at the same level of interest that you were for instance, in, in May or June of last year, or in fact... No, it, it plateaued around November, December. That's at a, a higher rate than previous years, but this application on steroids really um, lasted for several months, but stopped in November. And and December started to look like a regular December? With a, with a specific interest increase, but uh, not like last year, but not like what we saw in the, in the heights of the, the summer months. 
Rabbi Yeshua Fass, co-founder and executive director of Nefesh Benefesh, is with us live via telephone. We are celebrating 2020. Yes, folks. Remember a few minutes ago I was talking about positive images for 2020, the kind that we're asking you to send in so we can include them in our kosher halftime show. Nefesh Benefesh has about a million of those. People landing in Israel may not be with the same uh, type of greeting that they normally would get, may not be with the same type of celebration that normally would take place, but people landing in Israel enjoying the Holy Land, and even <laughs> and even starting their lives in Israel in quarantine, which is pretty amazing, frankly. Uh, what about the, you know, we always talk about the different professions that people are going into. Has that been basically the same percentage? I mean, I know you have a lot of doctors and, and people involved in high tech, et cetera. But did any one category dominate uh, unusually uh, during 2020 yeah. or basically the same no, type it, of breakdown? it really mirrored. We, we had a little bit of a boost of, of the medical professional. But uh, it really mirrors every single year of the, the normal breakdown of and that's, the professions that move. And you think that has something to do with, with COVID-19, or it's, or it's just a coincidence that there's a, a bump in the physicians? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I, I can't ignore the context of any of these applications and the interest. Um, I think a lot of individuals involved in the medical world, the medical profession, have uh, evaluated or reassessed. Um, where they, how they're moving forward. I think this has been an eye opener for many individuals to to give medical care and to be a practitioner within a pandemic. I know many individuals that I've been speaking with, and this has been uh, a hell of a year. It made them really assess what they, uh, how they move forward. Interesting. So maybe it had, maybe it, maybe it translated a bit in the the boost of applications where the individuals who are in the medical professional media in 2020. Yeah. I mean, I would imagine that some people who are on the fence about what what to go into have looked at the medical profession uh, a little bit more seriously after seeing what went on. It's really interesting. It's funny how circumstances really dictate uh, the, the direction that people choose. Um, so everybody out there – and then there was one other statistic that I found, by the way, in um, – uh, in regard to Nefesh Benefesh, apparently you had over 15,000 participants who were part of these Aliyah informational events. Now, obviously, Aliyah informational events were used to the ones that happen in person, but now they went online and all of a sudden there is a 682% increase in those who are participating yeah. in informational events. No, it, it was insane. We, we pivoted <laughs> to do all of our events on social media. We had 113 events. And we had over 15,000 people who attended. We had double that who registered. And we had people from, I think, 40 to 50 countries around the world. Um, it was hysterical to see who was logging in <laughs> to watch a webinar of Adam Galia. Unbelievable. You know, it's funny. Said, no, that was one of the blessings in that pivot. We, we, we were able to engage so many more people in so many different regions that uh, we can't abandon when we go back hopefully post-corona soon. Were any of those people from places outside of North America? I'm talking 48 countries. Well, then you have to expand the reach of Nefesh Benefesh. You can no longer be exclusive for North America. You have to be an advisory That group. is a next conversation, a next radio show interview. When I actually have my voice back, we can talk about that. Because it, it's funny, because you've considered it in the past, but now this may have made you jump into the pool, so to speak of helping people in every country on earth get to Israel. You know, I, I we, we just we just had a we just had a meeting. I'm sorry for cutting off. We just had a meeting yesterday 
with a certain region um, of oleum from uh, different countries not in the North American sphere, and asking for our help, asking to to join just the umbrella of our services and use our infrastructure to be able to help build. And it's very hard to say no. And we're building, we're almost, in the next few months, we're going to be opening, hopefully, please God, our new center, our headquarters in Shalai. And uh, we have the room, and we also have the interest and desire to help Olim from other countries, especially in Yushalayim and Jerusalem area. So that will be our foray into, into helping other Olim integrate successfully into the country that might not have come from the countries that we historically served. Isn't it funny how God works? All of a sudden, he grants you your wish for some additional space, a little room to breathe, and he says, yeah, if you want this space, you're going to have to deal with a lot more people from a lot of other places on this globe. <laughs> Isn't God funny, Rabbi Fass? <laughs> no comment on the funny, but... Uh... You see, if you open your eyes wide enough, you can see God's divine finger and uh, many things around you. Yeah, at least we could say life is funny. That everybody would agree with. Uh, speaking of li- speaking of life being funny, you offered some really important um, analysis during the summer. Yeah, a long time ago, half a year ago, uh, about why people were making Aliyah during 2020. We discussed the whole. Uh, between combination of Zoom and realizing that they could, uh, you know, be, be in touch with relatives on a regular basis through FaceTime, etc., and a whole bunch of other things we talked about. I'm wondering, especially in light of the fact of what happened last night in Georgia, I'm wondering if you think the political atmosphere in the U.S. Um, it, it one that really, if you think about it, uh, compared to other uh, times in the 20th century. In the United States, you'd have to go far back into the early part of the 20th century to find a time that uh, that one would really call, you know, one of discomfort, uncomfortable um, for Jews and really, you know, in some ways, all observant people. Do you think that the current political situation in the U.S. has anything to do with the spike in Aliyah over the last few months? I think it's been an ingredient. I'm not sure it's a sole ingredient. I think it's um, maybe accelerant, an accelerant for some. Um, I have contacts in the State Department in the U.S., and over the last several months we've been discussing the political societal kind of implications on Aliyah. And the question is, what would happen if Trump would be reelected? What would happen if Biden was reelected? It's very interesting to hear their analysis whether or not that would be a motivation for a spike in Aliyah. Um, if Trump would, would have won, sorry, I know it's not the 6th of January, but if Trump would have not won, would have won, then there might have been uh, more of the riots that we saw a few months ago right. that would have caused a, a real uneasiness um, for many, and they might have accelerated their application process or think anew of where they want to live. Um, and their analysis is that if Biden won, um, that there will be such a change within the culture, also taxes, there will be almost a slow bleed, um, an impact that would not be um, proximal, but would take over a few months for individuals to realize the sense of uneasiness and want to come. But it's, I think it's just one ingredient in, in, a, in, in a real puzzle, a collage of reasons why people like Aliyah. I don't think it's healthy to run. Um, thank God we still 
have Aliyah's choice from North America, and maybe that, I don't know, forever, but, uh, but I don't think it should be or is the sole motivational factor for people making Aliyah. But it's addressed, and people share it as being one component in their decision-making process. Understood. Rabbi Fast, before I let you go, uh, Nefesh Benefesh has announced that Camp Nefesh Benefesh is opening for the summer of 2021. It will start on August the 8th. Could you tell us why Nefesh Benefesh is getting into the camping business? I always wanted to drive a golf cart. I was jealous of all those head of camps that had golf carts. Now, the real reason, that's one, it's, it's the truth. It might get big by me all the time. Um, and if you ask Avi Levine, one of the logos is a, camp, is a, is a golf cart with a never symbol on it. But all seriousness, every year we see and we've noticed how challenging it is for parents and children during that first month of their aliyah. Parents are running around, and they're securing, arranging all the basic first steps of Aliyah, uh, setting up their home, registering for school, getting appliance, getting the shipments. And at the same time, they're trying to engage their kids during their first month, right. uh, trying to give some fun or maybe their inspirational moments just to have them connect to, to the land. So in an effort for years, we always wanted to do this, an effort to make it easier for parents, to help them able to set up and not feel that they're torn or tethered to their house, and to give the kids a sense of fun and belonging and meet other kids and take them on a limb and let them start learning the language, the slang and songs. So we decided to create a camp. So we're opening it up. This in Yushalayim, we're going to have uh, we have tenders from around the you know from around the area, the Chemish Modiin, Amgushed. So that's people, transportation for people to come in, kids to come in, and obviously a Jerusalem kid. We're opening up for 150, and uh, we're going to open it up mainly for those who are arriving this summer. And we just decided in the last couple of days to open up also to kids who came in 2020. Right. And because uh, they were they were really deprived of a year of, of integration in school yeah. and uh, connecting to the land. I'm also, uh, we, we believe that this is, this is something that we wanted to do in a long time and already that we know that it will be successful, please, Don. And I'm already negotiating with different municipalities for land so that in a few years from now we can build a, a proper large campus for a camp that we can have five, six, seven hundred kids and open it up to other grades. So this is a pilot. I hope it goes well um, because uh, I really would love to see this. What, true. What, uh, I think it's a huge service to family. What campus will you utilize for this summer? This summer, there's a campus called um, uh, there are these all these hidden treasures within Jerusalem that uh, are these campuses that schools and colleges and high schools use. So we uh, rented it for the summer. I'll use it for the next couple until we find our permanent place. Right. I know I'm getting ahead of myself. But uh, every person that we share this idea with, they're like, what took you so long? Well, and uh, we got Jake B. Blansky from Oshava right. to be uh, the head of this camp. We're really, really excited. Well, uh, one thing I've learned from this conversation is that um, uh, you're predicting that things will be back to normal the latest August the 8th. Because <laughs> it seems if the, if the summer camp is supposed to start on August 8th, you have full confidence that Israel will be able to... Uh, 
you know, allow regular transportation, regular activities, and uh, like I said, you know, life will be back to normal, please God. I, ha- I have to hope yeah. and plan that there's going to be some light at the end of the tunnel. We're also negotiating with a lot of the charter flights this summer. So, uh, obviously, for both projects, for all projects, the caveat, if God forbid, we can't be together publicly. Yeah, but come but, on. Uh, if we if we hit that herd unity, then we'll be able to uh, start going back to life. I mean, it, which, you, you, I, I mean, in your heart of hearts, I hope you believe that once we get to Pesach time, things will really, normalcy will accelerate. I hope you really do believe that. And that's what I'm banking on, frankly. I, no, I see it. I see it in my own family, the acceleration of how many people are getting the vaccine. Right. Uh, it's my siblings, some of my kids. It's, it's, it's remarkable. So hopefully that will continue to be uh, distributed at, a, at an amazing pace, and it'll get us to the life we're all looking to have. Uh, Rabbi Fast Mazaltov, what a 2020. Amazing. Incredible. Nefesh Benefesh at a time where people might have thought, I don't know, you know, the organization wouldn't make any progress when it comes to Aliyah because of this pandemic. And, of course, just the opposite happens. Every time the naysayers, I don't know who they are, these naysayers, but every time they rear their ugly head and offer their opinion, Nefesh Benefesh is right there to prove them wrong. I don't know how that happens every time, Rabbi Fass. You know me. I'm Mr. Positive. I'm always on your side. I'm always, <laughs> Thank you. I'm, I'm it's always, my model of the naysayers. <laughs> Special model. Uh, anyway, thank God it worked out really well, and uh, it all continues, and we're encouraging everybody out there. Now is the time. Now is always the time uh, to contact Nefesh Benefesh, nbn.org.il, nbn.org.il, 866-4-ALIYAH, 866-4-ALIYAH, and then A-L-I-Y-A-H. Rabbi Fass, um, I look forward to uh, seeing you. Please, God in Jerusalem very, very soon. That's all I could say, because it has been way too long that I'm disconnected from the Holy Land. It is a dream. I cannot wait. We, it's been too long that we've been in the room together. Yeah. And I apologize to you and to all the listeners for my voice. I don't know what happened a couple of days ago. I lost it. But uh, hopefully the message came across. It's a sign of leadership, Rabbi Fast. When one is out there advocating for the Jewish people, it is a sign of leadership that they have exhausted all of their strength, all of their energy, when in fact their voice uh, can, uh, starts to suffer. So trust me, it's only a sign That's of a your... beautiful spin. You know, beautiful right? spin. No, trust I thought it was a commercial for a call, but okay. <laughs> I could have done that actually as well. Rabbi Yoshua Fass is the co-founder and executive director of Nefesh Benefesh. And he's amazing and he is a Jewish hero. And he is one of the most important people in 21st century Jewish history. And um, he is not in front of me for me to see the rolling of his eyes as I say that. Ah, it's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NachumSingle.com, the NachumSingle Network, and of course, the beloved NSN app.
p.m. and the a.m. Comeback is right. That's the uh, that's the amazing Moshav band. It's one of the songs that we are always playing <laughs> when we when we are uh, on the flight with Nefesh Benefesh heading to the Holy Land with many many olim, hundreds and hundreds of olim. That's the song that we're generally playing. Pretty amazing. That was my conversation with Rabbi Josh Fass of Nefesh Benefesh. Next up, Hillel Fold. He was guest speaker at the TABC dinner. He knows everything about technology, has an incredible love for Israel, and he was with us recently on JM in the AM. My conversation with Hillel Fold on a recent edition of JM in the AM. Here he is on JM Rewind at the Nahum Siegel Network. It's a Monday morning broadcast here at JM in the AM. Well, TABC, which as you know is a school that's very dear to my heart, a bunch of uh, Seagull boys are alums of TABC, and some of the current representatives of the Seagull family are having an amazing time there. And TABC is honoring our heroes at their virtual 38th annual dinner. It happens on January the 10th, which is this coming Sunday night, begin- beginning at 8 p.m. Uh, defending America, defending Israel. There'll be an exclusive conversation with Ambassador Nikki Haley. They'll also honor and pay tribute to the distinguished TABC alumni who have served in the IDF, and I'm sure that'll include um, those who are serving right now. It's amazing how many TABC alums are in or have served already in the IDF. It all starts this coming Sunday night beginning at 8 p.m. Everybody is encouraged to attend, and it's pretty easy to attend, frankly. You can literally do so from the comfort of your own home. Um, Go to... uh, tabc.org. Again, that's tabc.org slash virtual dinner. tabc.org slash virtual dinner begins at 8 p.m. this coming Sunday night. In addition to Nikki Haley, there is another amazing guest speaker. And um, he'll speak on the topic of heroes do exist. Words of inspiration from Hillel Fold. Hillel Fold is dubbed Israel's top marketer. He works with leading tech entrepreneurs, investors, and visionaries to accompany them on their journey from idea to revenue. And based on my research, he has done this many, many, many times. Hillel Fold, a pleasure to welcome you to JM in the AM. An honor to be here. And like I said, a little bit starstruck. I've been listening to you for decades. (laughs) Much appreciated. I thank you very, very much. Um... Heroes do exist. Is this going to be a uh, a general discussion of heroism, or are you going to cite specific heroes that those who are watching Sunday night need to be aware of? Well, first of all, it's important that I mention that the fact that I'm on a flyer next to Ambassador Haley's face is just you know something that I never thought could happen. <laughs> Speaking of heroes, that that's where it starts. Um, but I think in terms of what I'll be speaking about. Um, Per, both personal heroes and national heroes. So, uh, you know, I am speaking about my late brother, Ari Fold, um, who, who lived the life of a hero and, and died as a hero. For those unfamiliar, he, uh, in his last breath, chased down the terrorist and uh, took him down so that he could not go and kill anyone else. So he was really a hero in the traditional sense of the word. And um, a sharp transition, I'm, you know, speaking about the state of Israel and how, you know, this country has accomplished things that are just spectacular, given that it's 
smaller than the size, than the size of New Jersey in the worst neighborhood on earth, and you look at every sector and every vertical of technology, and Israel is just leading the way. And obviously, you just spoke about the vaccine. It's just remarkable to see how, you know, once again, we're leading the way. And so I'm speaking about Israel as a, as a hero in the world and uh, about Ari as a hero uh, you know, on a personal level. Understood. Um, how, how does someone like yourself get into this position? Obviously, uh, you know, a tremendous amount of work and know-how is needed. I get that. Uh, but in order to, and, and coming from another country, I mean, you're originally from the United States, and now you are, uh, you know, making, and, and now you're making every effort, you know, at, at, uh, at the point where you're living in Israel <clears throat> to integrate as much as possible into Israeli society, into the business community of Israel. How does one go from being an American kid to be Israel's top marketer? Well, first of all, I've been in Israel 26 years. I came here as a kid. Um, but I don't know about Israel's top marketer, but I'll tell you that over the years, I had the fortune of meeting some incredible entrepreneurs in Israel. And really, my whole kind of business philosophy was I was just trying to help people. And uh, you, you're probably familiar with the concept of being a friar in Hebrew, right? Mm-hmm. In Israel, the worst thing you could be is a friar. And so people said to me all the years, why are you you know, not charging money? Take money from this guy. Take money from that. And I was really, I had a job. This was just for fun. What ended up happening is that a lot of these companies came back to me sometimes a decade later and said, listen, you helped us early on. Now we're worth billions of dollars. We'd love to work with you. And so I'm really fortunate to work with unbelievable companies, both startups and, you know, global enterprises. Um, and I'm just, you know, like a kid in a candy store every day, really just loving it. We would be shocked to know about whose major footprint in Israel, you deal with all the big companies right here. It says Google, Oracle, Microsoft, Nike, etc. Tell us Americans something that would surprise us in terms of a country that has a much more of a presence in Israel than we would ever suspect. Yeah, a company. So uh, listen, you know, I don't know if you're an iPhone or an Android user, but either one was developed. Major parts of the operating system were developed here in Israel, and really, the truth is, if you look at any. Uh, international and global tech company, whether it's Facebook or Google or Microsoft or Apple or any of them, not only are they here on the ground, but they're building core elements of their experience here in Israel. Uh, again, Apple, you know, when you unlock your, your iPhone with Face ID, that's an Israeli company called Prime Sense that Apple acquired. Microsoft started Microsoft Ventures here. Facebook is building products for you know, the emerging markets for, for Africa and other places that have slower internet. They have Facebook Lite and Instagram Lite. Really, every multinational is building uh, you know, big parts of its, of its experience here in this tiny little country, uh, which is just fascinating. And then you look at also, you look at the, the amount of capital flowing into Israel from all directions. Uh, it's remarkable to see that the top tier you know, venture capitalists in the world are all set up here. In fact, I had the opportunity to interview Mark Andreessen, who's widely regarded as the top venture capitalist in the world. He invested in Facebook and Slack and Twitter and many others. And I asked him a question, why are you not in Israel? All of your colleagues, all the top venture capitalists are in Israel. You're not. He said to me, we have a one-office rule, but when we break that rule and we open our second office, it will be in Tel Aviv, <laughs> which is so remarkable. It's, it's really just remarkable. Um, and, and you look at the numbers, you know, month over month. I think Israel, Israeli companies last month in 30 days raised $1.18 billion, which is it's just outrageous. Really, uh, it's very exciting, and, and you look at the numbers. We're not, you know, Israel shows no signs of slowing down. We're just getting started. Hello, Fold is with us. Um, I, I apologize for harping on this, but but I've got a curiosity, and, and it needs to be addressed. When when you when you mention 
the companies that rely on Israeli companies or Israeli efforts, like you mentioned, uh, the face recognition, which came from Israel, etc. Are these companies like Twitter, Facebook, Google, etc. Are they in Israel early? Like, is this it, 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 when they when they when they establish their companies? Are they already looking toward a place like Israel for innovation to advance, or is it something that happens way down the road? Usually they open kind of their first headquarters in Silicon Valley. That's kind of where it all happens. Um, but quickly they realize that the talent, the research and development talent, the top engineers are in Israel. And so, you know, it, it doesn't take very long for them to open offices here. If you look at Facebook, they have two massive offices in Tel Aviv. You know, like I think, I don't even remember how many floors. Google has eight floors full of engineers, you know, in ways obviously in Israel. And so you know, these companies, it doesn't take very long for them to realize they need, they need presence in Israel. Um, and and what's, what's really unbelievable, like I said before, is the venture capitalists. Because why are right. they not in you know London or LA or New York? Why Israel? Right. They're all here. It's, it's crazy. And, and a place like Google would employ how many people in Israel? Are we talking about thousands of people, or you know, a, a token office? Like how many people would actually find employment in a place like that? I mean, I'm guessing anywhere between 700 and 1,000, I think. I don't know the official numbers. That's just, you know, just me guessing. But there are a lot of people there that work at Google. Um, Facebook's the same story. And all of them, really. Apple, you know, you go to Apple headquarters in Herzliya, and, you know, it's a massive building. And, you know, it's super secretive. You don't know what they're building because they really are building the next iPhone. Even employees of Apple can't can't see the next guy's, you know, office. Everything's super secretive. Unbelievable. So, I mean, and ex- ex- excuse my line of questioning, but I'm such a linear guy, it, it takes me time to catch on. So could Waze have been developed somewhere else? If, if some other country or some other think tank you know, thought of this amazing idea to make traveling on streets and roads so easy for the average person, never to have to ask for directions again, you're right, a, a male's dream. Uh, I mean, could this have been done somewhere else, or is it something that you think you know, has such an Israeli flavor to it, tech-wise, that it had to be developed there? So I'll answer the question two ways. First, first hypothetically, I mean, it's, if you think about what Waze did, they, they crowdsourced the entire world. Right. That's, I mean, that's a crazy vision that someone had to have. Right. And I would go as far as call it chutzpah, the thing that you have the ability to, to map out the world using just crowdsourcing. So I do think it's a very it's like Israeli culture to kind of accomplish the impossible. That's number one. Number two, I actually heard the CEO of Waze, Noam Bardin, speak um, about this. And he said, had they not developed it in Israel, it would never have succeeded. And had they not opened up sales and marketing in the U.S., they also would not have succeeded. So, you know, that's an interesting kind of combination that you see. A lot of Israeli companies have the research and development here in Israel and the sales and marketing over there because, you know, these companies are targeting larger markets in Israel, obviously. They're building the technology here, but they're selling it to the United States and Europe and other places. Are there, I mean, there must be, com- and, and forget the money aspect for a second, there must be companies that you saw early on, and successful ones that ended up being, you know, giants in this world, where you said to yourself, you know, this one's going to make it, and, and others where you said to yourself, you know, uh, th- this one's, no, there's no chance. I, I remember, I think it's one of the founders of Twitter once said um, that when they were presented with this idea of Airbnb, they said no one's ever going to lend out their house, you know, to, to, to perfect strangers. And of course, you know that was a miscalculation. Can you think of an example where you really hit a home run? Again, forget the money aspect. Just by by thinking or conjecturing that a company had tremendous uh, a tremendous avenue for success, and another case where you said there's no way this is going to happen, and sure enough, 
you know, they went to be a billion-dollar corporation? So first of all, I'll start with the second one. Uh, I got a phone call one day from the founder of a company called Onavo um, and said to me, listen, I'm building this company. Here's what we're doing. I'd love you to join. And I said, that doesn't sound like a very good idea at all. It doesn't sound feasible. It doesn't sound sustainable. Uh, thank you, but no thank you. And they ended up selling to Facebook for hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, by the way, Waze also offered me a job, and I also turned them down, but that was because it was in Ranan, and I was in Bay Chamash, and I wasn't going to travel. But I, I made my fair, my fair share of, of bad calls. Good calls, I mean, listen, I, I saw so many companies early on, whether it's Wix, it's now worth, worth $13 billion last wow. I checked. Um, you know, obviously, the, the, the list just goes on. AppsFlyer is a company it's worth billions now, and I, I, you know, I knew the CEO before the company was even formed, and I was, uh, you know, a mentor in the Microsoft Accelerator, and he was sitting there in the corner, very, very humble guy, and now he's built a massive, successful company. Um, and there, there are many, many examples of companies that just are now skyrocketing, you know, in, in valuations. Or can, you know, they make glasses for people who are, you know, who can't see. Right. Um, so, so many companies. And by the way, now I write this Jerusalem Post column, and I'm, and I'm seeing early stage companies that are. Very, very impactful. Many of these companies are going to grow to be multi-billion-dollar companies. They're very early stage now. Unbelievable. Hillel Fold is with us. Website is hillelfold.com. On Twitter, at Hillsfold, H-I-L-Z-F-U-L-D. Guest speaker, along with Nikki Haley, at the TABC dinner this coming Sunday night on the topic of Heroes Do Exist. We're encouraging everybody, whether you're a TABC parent, family member, or not, uh, log on. Uh, pay the fee, log on, and uh, hear a couple of amazing speakers, Nikki Haley and Hillel Fold, this coming Sunday night beginning at 8 p.m. You can go to tabc.org slash virtual dinner, tabc.org slash virtual dinner. Everybody out there knows what I think of TABC and how great a school it is. And, again, within the TABC family, everyone is hopefully expected to be uh, on the um, a virtual dinner this coming Sunday night. But those of you who are not necessarily a part of the TABC family, take advantage of the fact that they are presenting both Nikki Haley and Hillel Fold this coming Sunday night, tabc.org slash virtual dinner. And I'll get a comment or two from you, Hillel, in a minute about TABC. But I got to ask you, you know, I read over the weekend the Times article about the, you know, everyone here is going crazy about the vaccine distribution in Israel, rightfully so. Uh, But it seemed to me once I read the Times article that basically everything that could have gone right for Israel did, uh, meaning how early they went, how much money they spent on it, um, uh, the distribution system, which, of course, is in place for decades in terms of kupot cholim, etc. And then the, the fourth factor that I didn't even consider until I read it was that the companies were anxious to sell to Israel because knowing how good their distribution system is, they felt they'll have data quicker about how it's going and, and the effects and after effects, if there are any, of the vaccine before um, you know, before then, if they would have, you know, worked more aggressively with other countries, they felt that Israel will have a lot more data for them uh, sooner. Let's put it that way. Um, does that, you know, basically sum it up? Is there anything about this vaccine rollout that you know is a bit different to you, or that you know, a, a, an explanation or a a point that you would also add to that list? Yeah, hundred percent. I think all of those points are very true, and you know, distribution is in place, and infrastructure is here. All that's true, but I think that there's one point that might be missing, and that is, you know, how much we value life, right? How much Israel and Jews value life, and how it's such a fundamental principle in our in our belief system and our in our religion. Um, not to say that other countries don't value life, but you know, it, in Israel, it's you know the top value, and so 
even if we had to spend more money and even if, you know, there were challenges, there was no way uh, the leadership was going to, you know, miss that chance. And, you know, I do think, you know, without getting too political, I think uh, BB did amazing work bringing it to Israel. And, um, you know, again, whether or not you support him, I think he deserves credit for that. Yeah, look, I mean, those who normally criticize him are going out of the way to, you know, to praise him for many, not all, but many who normally criticize him are going out of the way to praise him. And frankly, if you look at uh, distribution, uh, 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 the, the, the distribution of the vaccine in different states here in the United States, again, not to get political, but it is interesting to watch those who, who do have life, so to speak, uh, at the top of their political agenda. It's interesting to see how they're approaching the whole thing compared to other leaders. Just something to consider. Food for thought, now that you, uh, uh, now that you brought it up. Um, so um, uh, tell me about the TABC. You've been in Israel for 26 years. Are you aware of the fact that we have an amazing all-boys uh, high school in Bergen County, New Jersey, that is uh, creating Jewish leaders? In fact, leadership uh, that, that often leads to their alumni becoming members of the Israel Defense Forces. Absolutely. Obviously, I'm very familiar with TABC, and, and you know the fact that they're honoring their alumni that served in the IDF is obviously very close to my heart as someone who came to Israel and served in the IDF. Um, but more than that, I, I, like I speak, you know, what I'm going to speak about is that Ari came before us to Israel, volunteered in the Army, and climbed up the ranks. And um, in fact, at his funeral, his, his sergeant told the story that he, he approached Ari after he had already been dismissed from reserves, and Ari whipped up the papers to continue to volunteer. He told Ari, listen, maybe you should uh, give this, this machine gun that you're carrying around, which is very, very heavy, to someone a little bit younger than you. And Ari wouldn't hear of it. He was, you know, he really, he really dedicated a lot of his life to defending the state of Israel, both, by the way, in the IDF and obviously online. Um, and so, you know, the, the, the alumni that are, that are volunteering the IDF is, is very, very close to my heart on many fronts. Yeah, I can imagine. And your brother was uh, an unbelievable hero and demonstrated it. And some people, uh, once they're gone, uh, they are showered uh, with with praise and attention. Uh, for whatever reason, it happens like that from above. And there's no question that uh, in the aftermath of his passing, the entire world, as you know, the entire Jewish world not only felt the collective pain, not only felt the uh, a tremendous agony, uh, that the entire Jewish world obviously doesn't compare to the agony that your family and parents had, that I get. But you know what I mean in terms of the collective Jewish pain felt around the world and the collective Jewish pride. You know, we always say one of the hallmarks of this show is the future of the Jewish people is in the state of Israel. And even if we're here, I believe it's such an important thing to keep in mind. And I think that Ari, you know, with all the themes and all the uh, different um, messages that he transmitted to the world over the uh, years that he was in Israel— and speaking to us via video, etc. I think that was uh, one of his underlying messages that everybody out there keep in mind that the future of the Jewish people is here and nowhere else. Hundred percent. And Ari, you know, he I think he got his leadership qualities from a parent. Yep. Uh, both leaders in their world, and, and my father often says something that's, that's unbelievable. He says, um, obviously, every life that's lost is, is an entire world, and that's not to be belittled, but. If you look at in the grand scheme of things, and, you know, and, and take a step back, you'll realize that there has never been a 70-year period in the history of the Jewish people since Chorban Abay, since the destruction of the Temple, that so few Jews have been killed. There was always something pogroms and inquisitions and, and the Holocaust, whatever it may be. There was this right now. Again, every life that's lost is horrible, and that's that's irrelevant. That's nothing yeah. to talk about. But 
you know, in the grand scheme of things, Israel is really protecting us as a nation. Yeah, no question about it. And and I always, when I see IDF soldiers in Israel, I always say, because you're here, I can live in Manhattan. They look at me like I'm crazy, but you, you hey, you're from America. You know exactly what I mean. <laughs> so <laughs> they, they are there at the ready to defend the world. It, it must be... And, and, I mean, look, many people have gone through this. Unfortunately, there are a lot of terrible episodes that happen in this world. But it, it must be something to wake up in the morning on what you think will be a regular day and by the end of the day, bury your brother. I mean, can you even put into words what a day like that is? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I, I, I don't want to get too heavy here, but, uh, you know, the word trauma is something that I obviously had heard of, but I'd never experienced. and. It was a Sunday morning. I was at a, a company's office, and I, you know, I was surfing the web, and I opened up Ynet, the you know leading news website here in Israel, and it was a report of a, of a terrorist attack with a big with a big play button because surveillance cameras had picked up the attack. And so, what do you do when you see, you see a play button? You hit play. And so I hit play, and I watched this video of this this little kid stabbing this big guy, and the big guy then running after him. And I said to myself, "Who is this Superman? It's unbelievable." And then I, I, I asked in the fold WhatsApp group, is everyone okay? And I got a phone call, unfortunately, from Donnie, my older brother, saying it was him. I rushed to the hospital, but, you know, the, the Palestinian kid had unfortunately gotten in the main artery, so there was really no chance. Um, but, uh, you know, that, that, that scene of standing in Shari Tzedek with the whole family and, you know, his wife and kids and something I'll never, ever forget. In fact, that phone call from Donnie saying it was him is something I'll never forget. It was really... You know, like we used to burn CDs. This is very much burned on my brain. Um, and it's, it's difficult. You know, a lot of times people speak of uh, terrorist, terror victims. But they don't really speak often about the family. And, um, you know, we have a very, very strong family. Thank God. Our parents are unbelievable. But uh, it's, it's, never, it's not the same and it'll never be the same. Yeah. Boy, oh, boy. What a challenge for a family it is. And as, um, and as you recall, I could tell you what it was like from the perspective of someone like myself watching it. What was it like watching the world reaction? That Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, that Sukkot with your brother's logo, you know, on so many Sukkot around the world, and just in general, watching the outpouring of love, the people online just to, you know, offer you a word of comfort. What was that like from your perspective? Uh, well, the good, I mean, good news and bad news. I, I'd say the bad news is that people I've learned don't really know how to you know, what to say, right. Right? you know, what do you say? Right. You know, people, when someone calls and says, how are you? That's such a you know, standard question, but it's a horrible question when I'm going through this. How am I? I'm, you know, I'm horrible. Yeah. Um, so people really didn't know what to say on the one hand. On the other hand, uh, colleagues and friends uh, reached out to me. I can just tell you one story. It's just it's something that I, I really think, I don't know, saved my life in a way because I got a phone call from a very successful entrepreneur who I'd helped over the years and said to me, please come meet me in Tel Aviv. This was a couple of weeks after. I said, listen, I'm not, I'm not taking business meetings right now. Let's wait a couple of weeks. He said, no, please come to Tel Aviv right now. And this is a guy that's not very pushy. So I said, okay. I come to Tel Aviv. We sit down in an aroma, and he says to me one sentence that I'll never, ever forget. He said to me, hello, me and the hundreds of other people that you've helped over the years, we're not going to let you fall. That's it. That's all he said to me. And that really took a huge weight off of my shoulders because I'm thinking here, how am I going to get back to myself and support my family? And that's just one example of so many unbelievable stories. But um, listen, I mean, like you said, he, he received you know the national uh, award from the state of Israel as, as a national hero. Uh, it was a very surreal experience. It still is a very surreal experience. Eight times my younger brother posted today a picture of Ari on, on Facebook and said, you know, just for no reason, I'm, you know, he, he said, I'm missing him. Yeah. Um, it's a very surreal experience. It's kind of two levels of consciousness. On the one hand, you know what happened. On the other hand, you, you can't believe it. 
Unbelievable. Hillel Fold, guest speaker, along with the amazing Nikki Haley, Ambassador Nikki Haley, this coming Sunday night. We are encouraging all of our listeners, not just to support TABC. Believe you me, that's important to me. Um, but to be part of this incredible virtual dinner, uh, which will be unforgettable. Um, TABC.org slash virtual dinner this coming Sunday night beginning at 8 p.m. Again, TABC.org slash virtual dinner. If you are a TABC family, obviously you'll be part of it, and um, uh, you'll be enjoying the presentation. But if you're not affiliated with TABC, uh, um, either sponsor, donate, or give the general admission uh, price and be part of the amazing presentation this coming Sunday night, tabc.org slash virtual dinner. Hillel Fold is at hillelfold.com and on Twitter at hillsfold, H-I-L-Z-F-U-L-D. What's today like? Is today a normal Monday? Is uh, today one of those uh, meet with the people from Google? Anything special happening? No, we're locked down here. I mean, I have, I have permission, thank God, to, to travel a little as a, a quote-unquote essential worker, but... Um, you know the people are supposed to meet today are in quarantine, so it's you know it's not we're not it's not normal by any standards. Uh, but we're getting there because you know I got the vaccine. Most of the people that I know have gotten the vaccine. You know we're moving towards light at the end of the tunnel. Hopefully, the, is, is there a, is there an official word on on the start of reopening? Does it happen once everyone has the first dose? They slowly reopen, or does everyone have to wait till the second dose? Have they even given you a timetable? They talked about two weeks. Some talk about a month. Nobody knows for sure. But um, you know, like you said in the beginning, the the, the, the pace of how fast we're you know distributing the vaccine—it's just unbelievable. Truly unbelievable to watch. I would imagine you've traveled to the UAE at some point. Not yet. That's a that's a sore you know it's a sore point. I just rub it in. <laughs> uh, well, no, well, no, I'm not just mentioning it because we were there. I'm mentioning it because when we were there, it was amazing and remarkable to see how many Israelis were doing business and were part of a conference where, you know, there was a lot of UAE money directed toward Israel. Yeah, it's it's historic for sure. You know, this is an unbelievable thing. And I definitely have plans to go there just right now logistically with, you know, yeah. family and lockdown and everything. It's just not the right time. But, um, you know, I'm ready. Uh, speaking to a couple of different people about arranging an event over there. And I'll be there probably, I would say, in the next 12 months, I'll definitely be there. Also, if if tech if tech uh, fashion is defined normally by the gray T-shirt, um, why is it that you always take the opportunity to dress so well uh, to your tech business meetings? <laughs> <laughs> I dress so well? I don't know. A T-shirt and a blazer is kind of my thing. But, I know, but that's way, uh, that's, that's way above the founder of Facebook. I mean, that's, you know, that's, com- compared to the founder of Facebook, you're wearing a tux. <laughs> I mean, I guess, you, can, you know, you could take someone out of America, but you can't take America out of someone. I mean, I'm still wearing suits and ties and shoulders here. People think I'm nuts. Trust me, we noticed. Otherwise, I wouldn't have asked. <laughs> Hillel, a real <laughs> delight to speak with you, and, uh, and good luck on Sunday night, and thanks so much for joining us this morning. Thank you. It only took us 30 years. <laughs> only 30 years. You're right. Thank God. <laughs> At least we got it done within 30. Hillel Fold. Go to the website, hillelfold.com. Follow him on Twitter, H-I-L-Z-F-U-L-D. It's at Hills Fold. And this coming Sunday night, his topic is Heroes Do Exist. Words of inspiration from Hillel Fold. Join our friends from TABC on what's going to be an unbelievable 38th annual dinner, even if it's virtual. Because both Hillel Fold, Nikki Haley, and the distinguished TABC alumni 
uh, we'll have the focus on them, the alumni that have served in the IDF. Go to tabc.org slash virtual dinner, tabc.org slash virtual dinner. More coming up. It is a, a, what is today, Monday morning edition of JM in the AM. That was my conversation with Hillel Fold, a recent guest on JM in the AM. That does it for JM Rewind. Thanks so much for tuning in. Plenty more coming up on NSN, the Nahum Siegel Network.